This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good afternoon, everybody. Add my welcome. If you're our guest here today, you're so very, very welcome. My name's James. I lead the team here, and uh, it's great to see you guys. I just want to say Merry Christmas. I'm wearing my Christmas jumper. Look at that. We got a dog, so Hannah obviously had to buy me a dog Christmas jumper. And I, uh, I promised I'd wear it publicly, so that's that done. Right. Oh, hang on. Oh, I can't take it off anyway because I've got this thing on, so I'm going I'm to sweat my way through these next few minutes. Um, before we get into uh, the, the final part of the Redig the World series, I just want to take this opportunity. One, just wish you Merry Christmas and all the rest of it. I know it's a couple of weeks away, but uh, I'm not going to be speaking next week, so I can't do it next week. So I uh, just want to say Merry Christmas and all of that. I also just wanted to thank you and say well done. Well done for getting through to this part of the year. Thank you to all of you who have played any part whatsoever in the life of this church, seen and unseen over the last 12 months. What a what a joyous year it has been, hasn't it? <laughs> Let's be honest, 2020 finished. Yay, 2021's going to be a mess. Oh, what? Um, and uh, there's been some good moments. There's been some highs. There's been some cool things. And then there's been the rest of it. So uh, I just want to say a massive thank you. A big part of the reason that um, Hannah and I are still here is obviously Jesus and all the rest of it. But you guys will play a big part in that. And um, that sounded overly dramatic. I meant like kind of still enjoying church is because it's people like you and love you guys and so deeply grateful for you. Uh, Just um, John mentioned it, the gift thing, um, thing, the video, the film, the movie. What is it? A short, short piece that's on video on YouTube. I feel it's a piece of art. It was a piece of art. It is a piece of art. Well done. Catherine, who's in it, is telling me it's a piece of art. Um, (laughs) <laughs> no, if you haven't yet watched it, you, got, you should have got a text about it the other day. I want to encourage you to watch it and share it. It's excellent. John and Catherine did a great job. Pete, who puts together all of this stuff, um, tech things, he, he is phenomenal. We're going to see some more of his work in a few minutes. And I just want to say well done to the staff team as well. Massive, awesome thank you. Well done. And everybody else, great job. Right. We are carrying... I am really hot. We are carrying on the uh, it's Redig the Wells series. Well, we're kind of finishing it off today. And... Um, there's a, a phrase in the, in the Bible that is a description of Jesus, and it's a little title called Son of Man, and it's a description of Jesus. And there's, uh, the, there are three different ways the New Testament uses this phrase, the Son of Man. It says the Son of Man came, and then there are three different ways in which uh, it describes it. Now, I appreciate that not everybody in this room will necessarily know a load of stuff about the Bible. Some of you, this might be the very first time you're in church, you might never have heard of that phrase at all. I, some of you would do. I'm going to give you 20 seconds to the person next to you. How do you finish this sentence? If you've never heard it before, just have a guess. What do you think the Bible might say? The Son of Man came. How do you fill it? Off you go. You've got 20 seconds to the person next to you while I try and work out how to take this off. Right. That's your 20 seconds. The Son of Man, if you got this one right, give yourself a nice little pat on the back. Mark 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom of many. Like, oh, oh, yay. Second one, 
Luke 19:10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Whoa, those are two big statements about why Jesus came to earth. Not to be served, but to serve and to come and seek and save the lost. There is kind of mission statement, if you like. The third one, did you get this? The Son of Man, Luke 7, verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You've got these big mission statements, what he's about, and then his method. Now, here's the thing, right? This is why this is quite remarkable, because the Son of Man, that phrase, is, is Daniel in the Old Testament, is a label that Daniel in the Old Testament uses for the one who would come before God to receive authority over the nations. And it's, it's particularly in Daniel 7, it's this image of the absolute supremacy and authority of this one who comes, the King of Nations. And he's coming. And how do you think he's going to come? Like in the clouds and with angels and with a horde of warriors. No, he comes eating and drinking. And you think, wow. That's how Luke describes, Luke who writes the gospel of Luke, describes the mission strategy of Jesus. The son of man comes eating and drinking. And it's not just a little bit of eating and drinking. It's not like he just had to eat a little bit or drink a bit to prove he was human. Look, at, it, says in, uh, it says in Luke 7 verse 34, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton, someone who eats too much, and a drunkard, someone who drinks too much, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I don't know if you thought about this before, but how much do you have to enjoy eating and drinking before someone accuses you of being a drunkard and a glutton? (laughs) Like, that's not just like the occasional, oh yeah, I like a little glass of whatever, or I like a little bit of food. How much do you have to be seen to be eating and drinking, like all the time, for someone to accuse you of that? And it wasn't just Jesus. His disciples were known for that too. Earlier in Luke 5, verse 33, uh, they said to Jesus, the disciples of John, they fast often, often and offer prayers. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your lot eat and drink. Yours eat and drink. And today we're looking at this whole topic, John mentioned it earlier, of hospitality. That is something that the early church was known for. And it's a, it's a well, and just to keep in with this series we've been doing the last few weeks and months, it's a well that we need to redig as well. To be really clear, Jesus and the disciples and the early church were known for eating and drinking, not in the safety of their own home by themselves behind closed doors. It wasn't that they put it on social media, like to have this and like kind of hashtag foodies or anything. They actually did it in the context of community. They were in and out of each other's homes. They lived their lives very much on display. And the church in Acts, Jerusalem church, you see it all in Acts 2, was so clearly in and out of each other's homes all the time. And as a result, they, they kind of experienced and enjoyed a real and genuine sense of community and togetherness and sincerity and great kingdom advance as well. And that was a church that had thousands of people in it. There's this expectation throughout scripture, both in the descriptive passages, which describe how church was, and in the prescriptive passages, which is where people like Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In 1 Peter 4.9, it's just an expectation you do it. Paul's the same. Romans 12.13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's just this expectation that the people of God do this. Because hospitality isn't just eating and drinking. We'll get to some more of what it looks like in a moment. But obviously eating and drinking is a big part of hospitality. And actually eating and drinking and and demonstrating that it's fundamentally a heart thing. Part of our problem for many of us is that we hear eating and drinking and we think dinner party. Or we think fancy effort. 
Oh, man, that's a lot of work to do that and put on this kind of show and have these people around and do that. Now, of course, some people love dinner parties. If you're one of those people who, it's not an effort at all. What are you talking about? I live my life for dinner parties. Well done you. But that's kind of not really what Jesus was on about. Now, for sure, he hung out at banquets and feasts and parties. But actually, a lot of the time, most of the time, he just hung out in normal context of normal life and ate and drank with people. And if we're going to be a Jesus people, we need Jesus practices. And so we need to rethink the whole approach to hospitality and eating and drinking. And that's going to look different for each of us. And we're an increasingly diverse church across all our different meetings and everything else. But there are some very common themes. Let's watch this video for a few minutes. This is just a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> Hospitality makes you get to know people better and you share lives together. I love cooking while he loves talking. <laughs> We've just learned just to, to relax a bit. You know, it, you want to come around for a cup of tea, you want to sit in the garden, you want to come around and watch the football, have a beer. It, it, it doesn't matter, you're invited. And, and we decided like, to make it's a bit cheesy, uh, but it's Raclette Wednesday where you get a little thing out because we're very posh now, and we get some cheese and you melt it and you all have it together at the table. Then I don't have to cook for anyone, which is a bonus for me because that can stress me out. So I just let people cook their own dinner. It's quite a new thing, but it's just something to help us prioritise it and put it in every week, and it's been really, really good. Well, the living room so does stink of grease after. I wouldn't say, don't yeah. get a bad clip if you've got cost, good ventilation, but... It's well but... worth it, it's well worth it. <laughs> so the big welcome will be a big dish, a lovely drink, and one of the things I always do is get a box, box of juice, blend um, strawberries into it. You know, it could be frozen strawberry or just add ice to it. And make you feel welcome with something that you wouldn't have in your house. I'll be thinking, what can I give to them that is unique and different from what they usually have in their house? If, if we are the family of God as yeah. a church, like nothing in some ways characterizes how people often feel about families. Like it's a classic in the movies, Christmas. The house never looks perfect. The dinner almost always goes wrong in some way. There's always a fight um, and someone's always broken something. Yeah. But it still really True. feels like family. Yeah, yeah. And I think the idea that hospitality and opening your home and the family of God would feel like that, that it would feel like it was supposed to be together, like that people wanted to be there, that everyone was accepted, even your weird auntie, like that that would be part of it. I think as well family's multi-generational and like i have lots of really lovely cousins and we get on really well we're really close we we grew up together um but actually my family isn't just my cousins people like me people in a similar generation to me my family is like 
my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles and my family is people who I really get on with, but also some people who I see because they're my family, right? And um, we all have those people in our lives. Yep. And I think that's the other thing about hospitality. It gives us an opportunity as the church to show that we are a family. So my life is quite busy. Um, I'm a resuscitation nurse. Um, so I have quite long hours and shifts and they can be quite busy. But genuinely, I love community and I really try and share the free time that I do have with um, whoever's around that I can, can do that. And sometimes that's dropping food off for people or baking. Yeah, and then when people come here again, I like it to be a place that they can feel comfortable in, um, that it's warm and they feel um, just generally that I can share whatever I have with them. So as students, that's definitely one of the first things we have to think about when we get to a new place it's, it's okay who are my people where will i feel at home things like eating together or um, getting the wisdom of different ages you know um but the wisdom of just life and um or you know the just the, the laughter and and joy that that you know different ages bring or well i am older than you so i'm able to also provide those words of wisdom um yeah, yeah. that you seek And the other thing about why hospitality is important as a Christian is, without putting too fine a point on it, it's in the Bible. And like, it's not a little, it's not a little sort of niche side topic often, off on the side. It's like, it's in Abraham's story, it's in the law, it's in the way Jesus lived his life. You look at Acts 2 and it twice references breaking bread together in your homes and then it references saying grace, giving thanks for your food. In Acts 2, like, just blueprint of how you do church is there. Hospitality. So it's really important. We've got some friends who, have, they get well comfortable, you know, shoes off, you know, on the sofa, feet up. Well, that's a bit much, but... <laughs> <laughs> Titi was in home on the day. There were, there, so there have been cases where I had tried hosting. I think Titi had traveled or gone somewhere. So there was this brother-in-law of mine and uh, my niece and nephew came visiting. And I was trying to make, <laughs> I was trying to make um, a barbecue. And then it was, there's this funny old thing that we met when we moved into the house. Well, it's called an outdoor barbecue. Okay. It's called an outdoor barbecue that we, I was trying to light it up. It was a mess. We blew, we did everything we could. Eventually it worked, but I, I'm not sure it went well. So that was not the best hospitality thing we've had. Titi was not at home because she would have planned it differently. I think one of the good things is to plan. The meat on the day may have had fumes of um, fuel on it, but it was a fellowship that mattered. Well, to back up his story, he ruined my, my cooling rack. Yes. It, that's not the story. Yeah. The story. Uh, you ruined my cooling rack. Yeah, but that's not the story. And then there was another time where we were going to play spike ball um, in the local park and it just started tipping down with rain. And I was a bit miffed that we didn't get to play spike ball, but we came back here, everyone was like just drenched, but we all just sat down, 
We had some soggy food. Not that I cooked, but that we brought along and got soggy from the rain. And yeah, it was just a, it was just a laugh. It was just a good time. I used to think that hospitality was um, spending lots and lots of time preparing three courses, which were home cooked and beautifully presented. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, particularly when we first arrived, we didn't have any friends, we didn't know anyone. We'd always be having new people around for dinner. And I really felt like if I was having someone new for dinner, I needed to really impress them with my food, partly because I wanted to love them in that way, but also because I felt like there was an expectation that I would be the hostess with the mostess, you know, like you would have the most beautiful starter followed by an excellently chosen man and a really beautifully home-cooked dessert. Um, and part of that was, you know, a noble feat, but yeah, I used to think that I had to do that and I would just be exhausted because I'd be constantly busying myself with making it perfect. In my life, how does hospitality look like? It's just a way of life for me. Everything I have belongs to God. My neighbors, I just selected like four or five that I could accommodate and I helped them to do stuff. Like I bring their beans in and out. You know, it doesn't take anything, it doesn't cost me any money. But when I'm taking my bean out, if I see that their beans are not out, I bring it out. It's helped me to have a less toxic neighborhood. My neighbors are like family. I can remember one time, quite a while ago actually, but we had some students that came round and I found out that one of the students didn't really have very much, so they all went home with bundles of food and about a week's worth of supply of different containers of food to make sure that they had enough to get through some exams. Um, so yeah, anything I can do can, that I will try and do to help really. You don't have to have it perfect, everything doesn't have to look good. Christianity is messy anyway, so what all this make-believe? <laughs> we've not, all, we've never had a big house, yeah. so we've always lived. We've had, we're in a two-bedroom, first floor, first floor flat. So we, yeah, it. sometimes that's made us feel like that can be a bit of a challenge because we think, oh, if we're going to invite someone round who's got four or five kids, which a lot of people at church have got four or five kids, mm. haven't they? So we're just like, oh no, is there going to be space? And I think that held us back a little bit when we moved into a flat at first because we were like, oh no, it's just going to feel a bit cramped, but it doesn't. And we've seen other people in the church do it. Yeah. We've seen people who've got flats and they've had us round. It's made us think, actually, no, like it's nice. I don't feel any different to being in a big house and it, no one cares about that really. It's just more about being together and... Also, we want our kids to know that this is part of our life. It's not a part of our life when they're in bed, it's yeah. part of their life. And, you know, we want them to have their memories growing up. So when they mm. are an adult, they're like, yeah, we always had people in our home. It was just what we did. It was just like second nature, second nature to us. <laughs> Every opportunity to make a big pot of jollof rice or a bowl of, I, I don't know how many people in church who haven't eaten my jollof rice. If you haven't, Please, <laughs> I have a busy life and I wouldn't, you know, change my life for anything. I will still be happy to do hospitality when it's needed. You know, hospitality is not sometimes not big. Somebody can just stop you on the road and say, I'm looking for this and you help the person. And that's hospitality. It's, it can be as simple as possible. I think hospitality, you know, the, the fundamentals of eating together and um, it allows you to know what's going on with each other. It allows you to, to help build those, those relationships with each other um, as a family and... Who really cares how good the food is? Like, that's not what, what 
That's hopefully <laughs> not what people are coming for. They're coming for the company, they're coming the opportunity for you to get to know them, spend time with you. There's more to there's more to hospitality than cooking. Yeah. I think people people obsess on the what is my cooking like? What is my house like? Or what is whatever like? And people stress about it as yeah. well. And will people judge me? All of that stuff. It's about how do you make an atmosphere that people want to be in? I think some of the challenges for hosting um, can just be time. Um, so my job is very demanding and it does take up sometimes long hours. So uh, for me, I try and do it by being really prepared, um, a slow cooker or having a cake always prepared in the cake tins where if people just pop round. Um, I freeze stuff so I can get it out if we're, you know, if I'm going to go to someone's house or something like that. Um, but yeah, it can be. I suppose it's just really trying to be organised. Um, but I think anyone can host. Um, you know, you don't have to have a big house or, or anything like that. It can just be um, making the time and the effort um, to, you know, even just making a cup of tea and having that with someone is still, um, is still being, you know, a friend to someone that needs it. I tend to get a little bit too enthusiastic and just make it intense. Like, I'll meet people and I'll be like, do you want to swap numbers? Do you want to go for a beer? And people are like, I don't know you. Like, this is weird. Like, and you're like, stop inviting people for a beer and that. Like, but I just, I just, That's I don't know. Wrong. When, you, yeah. when you've asked people on the street if they want to go for a beer, it's a step too yeah. far. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit much. It's a bit intense. No, don't do that. Now, we had this lady who was part of a group who we wouldn't know how to cook, and she was quite hesitant hosting us. The suggestion came that we could have this in your house all the same, but we could order a meal. And then ideas started flowing. What kind of things can we do? Do we do? And the idea of a chippy came. So we had fish and chips, and everybody had their bags and the chip. And, and you had some with salt and vinegar. I didn't know too much about salt. I still don't understand salt and vinegar idea. But some people had it, and and um, we had that meal. We had it all together in the in some guys were sitting on the carpet, on the couch, not on the dining table, but all over the place. And we had such a nice time. I guess we prayed afterwards. It was lovely. James the other day, um, you know, said that, you know, each one of us is, is needed and each one of us is needy. And um, I think actually, um, while it can feel like, oh, that, that could be serving on a rotor and, you know, definitely serving is, is great. Um, you know, I think doing that in people's houses and, you know, doing that just on a day-to-day -day basis where actually, you know, the, the rest of your week is spent is so important. I think hospitality is important for us as Christians because what other example did Jesus set? The, the compassion and kindness that he showed through his actions. I know the feeling I feel when I'm invited to my mentor's house for dinner or some other elders house in the church for dinner or not even old people but just other students and mm. things like that it's, it's it does make you feel like you are part of something uh, I think it has to be we have to break this attitude of individualism like we always think about ourselves we are a diverse community community so we should live like that you know go to someone else's house and go and eat their food so that you know who they are and how they are, gets you to know them, gets you to connect with them. Hosting people when they're there is more about 
being with them than than being the the chef who's clearing up the dishes at the end. My work colleague, um, who we bubbled with over lockdown, he really appreciates being asked for dinner, um, and he always leaves with an extra dinner. Um, so that the love doesn't just stop at the table, it goes home with him and it's in his tummy the next day. We had a conversation and um, this person said, I don't like turkey. I said, how come you don't like turkey? I said, I don't like turkey, it's dry. I said, okay, I'll give you turkey. So when we invited them over to the house, I gave them, I mean, I gave him, I, no, I gave him something. I said, does he like it? He said, yes. I said, that's turkey, but a different type of turkey. <laughs> So those are the kind of things I like doing. We've all got busy lives and we can all say, like, I've got work, I've got kids, I've got a dog, I've got, you know, parents who need my help and all that. And I think all them things, obviously, they are true. And, you know, we have that sometimes as well, where we think, all like, this week's really busy and how are we going to fit it in? But mm. we've found that, especially with natural moments, I think that we are going to sit there. We like to sit up at the table, have something to eat with the kids, or we like to have a coffee or a glass of wine on a Friday night or something, and we're doing that anyway. So really, it's not an added pressure, do you know what I mean? I think if you think of it like that, that's because you're thinking of it as a performance rather than people being able to come in and just be normal and just do your normal life with you. How do, how do you set your your place up, Whatever that, whether that's your palatial home or whether that's a corner at Weatherspoons, how do you set it up so people feel at home in it, so they feel welcome in your company, so that the kind of things you're going to be talking about are stuff that gets to the root of who they are? You don't need to all be the same to make a community work. You don't have to be the married couple that hosts people. You don't have to be, um, you know, coming with your friends. You don't have to, you know, be like that. You can, you know, show people that you can kind of host um, and be hospitable to actually anyone that comes. And, you know, I found that some of the best evenings we had were chatting to people that, you know, I probably wouldn't have chatted to outside of church, but because church brought us together, I found really interesting and actually also tasted some food that I probably wouldn't have done. It's in the midst of hospitality, midst of bringing people together that God just does great things. It's when two or three of us are gathered together that God is present. And when God is present, trust me, breakthroughs, trust me, miracles, his government increases, he opens doors, he, he shuts doors, he gives you insight into things. We didn't have a dining table till we become Christians. No. We had them growing oh, we, up. No, we did. We use it for washing. Oh, we put all my, all my washing <laughs> that I never put away on there. So I thought we didn't have one because it was camouflaged for two years yeah. in laundry. But um, yeah, when we were younger, we just had the dining table out more for special occasions. And when yeah. we first moved into our place, we didn't actually have one. And it was only when we thought, actually, this is really important. Like, you know, we want to have people around. We actually got a dining table, but some people don't sit at the table. And so when you sit them up and say, do you want to sit down for a meal? It feels a bit intense. There's yeah. sometimes just spreading out a little bit in the garden or just like let the kids sit on the sofa and eat some dinner. We, like pretty much we all eat dinner in the evening and you can invite someone else to eat the dinner that you're eating with you, like you don't, you're gonna do it anyway. So it's not a new thing. Um, yeah, you don't, it doesn't take you twice as long to make, you know, twice the amount of food, for instance. Oh, we're going to church, fine, great. We could have somebody for dinner before it, dinner afterwards. You were gonna eat before or after church, but you're adding the hospitality in and around something you're already doing. 
So, uh, yeah, very sadly, I got COVID um, quite early on and I was actually really, really, really poorly. So um, in that time, I wasn't the one that was able to cook. I wasn't able to... In fact, I was barely able to make a drink. Um, but the church family were absolutely amazing. They, um, I would regularly or daily have a different person leaving food in my porch and in fact sometimes I had more than one people um, leaving food in my porch and there was always a dessert and um, there was soups and stews and freshly baked rolls um, there was so much that I actually it took me longer than when I was sick to actually eat it so um, it was an absolute blessing because people are not coming for the food they're coming because of everything but the food. There's fellowship in it. It could be just talking, you know. Some people just need an ear to listen to, you know, to conversations, babysitting children. There's so many, there's a lot more than just cooking, just the food. OK, it's not just a see you at 3.30, church is done, let's go home. It's OK, let's go grab some food together, let's drink together. As Daniel was saying earlier, like, that's such an important aspect of just life um, and doing it together and in the Bible we see like Jesus ate and drank with his disciples with the people he was teaching to. That is interesting whether Nigerians make the best jollof rice. As a Nigerian I would say yes <laughs> because that's what we know but I think I've eaten Ghanaian jollof rice before even though you know jollof rice didn't originate from us from either Ghana or any of the world it originates from Gambia and it was called Wolof, not Jollof. You know, but there's a big, a big war about Jollof rice uh, among these cultures. It's fun in a way, but I think some people take it too, too seriously. Yeah, so Nigerians, it depends on who is making the Jollof rice as well. I think I make mine with love, so it's always nicer than the Ghanaian one, so, yeah. <laughs> Billy and I were leading um, a community and there was a time that I was definitely not going to make it and I'd called him and I said I'm so sorry um, so he got the keys from the neighbours and um, he let himself in um, and I think there were some other people there already from community and um, I, th I, th I think he'd even had to go and do a mad dash to go and get biscuits and stuff from um, from the shops because I'm not sure if I'd even um, remembered to prepare stuff, I can't, I can't remember um, but yeah he he, he let himself in and then all the rest of the community turns up and they were all in my, my dining room when I got home and they'd made me a cup of tea. Um, and so, yeah, I, was, I, I arrived to find at least, I think, 10 or 12 people in my house um, all going, hi! And I was like, hi! Hospitality isn't something that you can turn on and off. It's not a nine to five. Yeah, it, it, there's not an off duty. Rhoda, you know, like you're always on if you want to live life that's like that. And I think there's so many blessings with that. As it's more of the heart of fellowship that matters in hospitality rather than the food or the thing. And it's that heart that your the other heart is going to connect with. It's not the palate. The palate is secondary. Do get it right as much as you can, but it's secondary. I mean, just bringing joy into people's life. Sometimes I think that my purpose in life is to bring joy. So that's one of the reasons I would say, be hospitable to someone because it brings great joy to someone. Little 
tip, if you come around our house and it's immaculate, don't open any cupboard because yeah. Tiff's just rammed it in three minutes before you arrived. Like before you just got here. <laughs> Very good. That was excellent. Thank you so much to all of you who are involved, and uh, thanks for calling me old, Jez. But there you go. <laughs> I think one of the, the big things, really, are just in these last few moments, I want to kind of focus us, on, focus, us on, focus us on is that we, is this. I think we think too little of what eating and drinking actually is and its theological nature and the symbolism, if you like, of it. Because eating together is, is more than just a practical tool for doing mission or discipleship or community or fellowship or anything else. Eating together is theological. It shows us something. It models something. It enacts something. It's, as we heard in that video, it's a heart thing. You can practice hospitality even if you don't have a home. Because hospitality really is words, it's actions, it's attitudes that make other people feel cared for and at home. Whether it's in your house or in the corner of Weatherspoons or trying to play spike ball, whatever that is, in the park. And because it's a heart thing, like all of Christianity, it then works itself out in practice. So I just want to look at a few Bible stories. And the first we're going to just, if you've got your Bible, Luke chapter 5. These are very familiar, famous stories, and I just want to pull a few things out. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After this, he went out, this is Jesus, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Eating together. This is one of the points I want to make. Eating together is enacted grace. It is putting Grace, it is putting the gospel into practice. Tax collectors were pretty much the worst of the worst. They were traitors to their own people. They were enemies of God. And here they are partying with the King of Kings. They're partying with the Messiah. Just think about for a moment what that means. He is welcoming his enemies. He turns, and this this just turns everything upside down. You see, religious people, like the Pharisees, they think that their righteous acts move them closer to God, which that's what the thing that gives them a sense of well-being is they're kind of doing a little bit better than they were before. They're climbing the ladder of religiosity. They're climbing the ladder of righteousness. And so nothing makes them feel better than being able to look down on other people and feel superior. Pharisees need tax collectors, and they need them in order to be able to feel better about themselves. Now, we're so often quick... Um, to criticize Pharisees, but we probably just need to be a little bit slower to jump in on them because we'll just look at this story. We, we see here that they, Pharisees, religious people, they need dinner parties with the right people in order to make themselves seem more important and higher up the ladder. Here's the point. They use social occasions to, ve- to develop their social status. If Instagram was around, knows that they would definitely be hashtagging everything and putting photos of what they look who we're hanging out with, look at where we're getting, look at how nice everything is. When Jesus eats with Levi, the message is clear. Jesus came for people on the margins, 
people who have made a mess of their lives, people who will not improve your social standing, people who, if you spend time with them, they are not going to help you get further ahead than where you are. They're not going to make you look better than you are. They're not going to make other people think, oh, wow, you're probably not going to get anything out of them. You know that whole, we invite them because then they'll invite us back. They're probably never going to do that. Eating together is enacted grace. It's the gospel on display. Here's the real hard challenge for us. Who do we eat with? Who do we eat with? The just people like us or just people who we think are going to get us, make it, oh, they're the right people to hang out. This just flips everything on its head. Let's look at another story. Luke 14, a few chapters later on, Jesus is asked um, whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, and he tells them the parable of the wedding feast, and he ends with, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he tells the story of a man who throws a great banquet and the parable of the great banquet, and people, when they're invited, start to give their excuses. I've got oxen to care for, I've got a wife to care for, I've got et cetera, et cetera. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick it up, actually, just before that, in verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." And then he goes on and tells another story and just said and people bring their excuses. Skip to verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And there's so much that we could say in this packet, in this, from this passage, but here's the thing I want to kind of land us with. Eating together is enacted community. It is putting, again, grace, it's putting community, it's putting the gospel again on display. Once again here in this story, we see God's grace to us. You see, we once were the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. We're, that's who we are in this parable, who has been welcomed by God. And once again, we see God's grace as the foundation for Christian community. Because he has done this to us, because that's who we once were, and this is now how we and why we do it for others. And unless we see that we once were that, we weren't the righteous people, we weren't the people who had it all together, we once were that, and now we have been written, brought in. We once were beggars, now we're royalty. We once were on the outside, now we're on the inside. We once weren't able to eat with, and now we are. Until we see that, until we get that, it makes no sense, the rest of this. But this is who we should be pouring ourselves out for us. Here's the thing. Our experience of God's welcome to us in our need should shape our welcome to others in their need. Let me just say that again. Our experience of God's welcome to us in our need should shape our welcome to others in their need. But eating together, as well as being an acted community, is also an acted mission. It's putting it into practice. I just love what Ify said in that video, where she said, my neighbors are my family. How many of us say that? My neighbors, I treat my neighbors as my family. Just look again at, at verse, uh, verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, we are called to follow Jesus into a broken world, and that means coming close to people who are lost, 
who are broken, who are poor, materially, spiritually, whatever, who are lonely, who are lame, who are blind, who are lost in darkness. And we can give, especially this time of year, we can give to charitable causes. And even, dare I say it in church, we can pray for the least, the last, and the lost. But if that's all we do, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, by the way, but if that's all we do, it keeps the poor at a distance and at arm's length, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, I'm praying for but just as long as you stay over there. And hopefully sometime you'll be able to get in with me and that'll be okay. But Jesus didn't just give and didn't just pray for. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. Just think about how that dynamic of friend changes everything. Changes how we sit and how we eat with someone. Because when you sit and eat together, you meet as equals. You share together. You behave as friends. We affirm one another and enjoy one another. We're real. This is real life. And so what I'm kind of pushing, advocating, I guess, what came out in that video is that a life is, is we're, we're going for a, redigging this well of a lifestyle of hospitality in the everyday, not just about special events. It's not a kind of host a dinner party once a month and I've got this list of people and as long as I have a blind person, a lame person, a crippled person, whatever, a tick, job done, I'm sorted. No, 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 no. It's, it's actually about in everyday normal life for us. Now, don't, I'm not kind of having a, it sounds like I am having a pop at dinner parties. I'm not. I enjoy a dinner party sometimes. But, I mean, after all, this is a story of a banquet. So they have their places. Absolutely they do. But here's the thing. If we just think in terms of special events like that, they're not real, are they? They're sort of sanitized, cleaned up versions of ourselves. It's like hospitality through performance. It's nice, of course it is, and it's neat, but it's not life. See, if you think about how we're supposed to live as Christians in community and and to to non-believers, we're not trying to present cleaned up versions of ourselves. Eating and drinking is enacted together, is enacted community precisely because it's real. Warts and all, it's not a show. I love what Wiley said, Christianity is messy anyway, so what's all this make-believe? And it's, mission, it's community for that reason, and it's mission for that reason, precisely the same. We're not trying to present ourselves as telling somebody, hey, my life's all sorted, and you need to be your life sorted, and you need to be like me too. What we're saying in mission is, listen, I'm every bit as messed up and as broken as everyone else, but God, all that we kicked off that meeting with, but God, the grace of God found me and cleaned me up and restored me, and now I'm not perfect, but I'm on a journey to perfection. I am a work in progress, and he who began it in me shall bring it to completion. I've been made, I'm made in the image of God, I'm remade in the image of Christ, and you can be too. Please, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't do that through a dinner party, of course you can, but we heard through the stories it in that video, fundamentally, this is a heart issue. And dinner parties and making things nice can absolutely be about wanting to love people and honor people and serve people. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making things nice. Right? Please don't go and go, well, we'll just make it all rubbish all the time then. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm appealing to is let's be real. Let's live real life. And it's not realistic to do a dinner party every day of the week. And if we think hospitality, mean, doing that means dinner party, well, we're going to limit it to, well, how often can you throw a party like that? Once a week, once a month, once a year, once every 10 years. When your house is big enough, I'll do it then. When my cooking skills are good enough, I'll do it then. When I've got this, I'll do it then. No, 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 no. What is realistic to live a life of hospitality according to Scripture in the Christian life? It's day in, day out, isn't it? There's not an on-rotor and an off-rotor. This is it today and that may not tomorrow. 
It's exactly what we heard in that video. It's not about adding more things to our lives. It's about doing the things we already do with more gospel intentionality. I said it a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at time. Most of us eat 21 meals a week, right? That's 21 opportunities to include other people in, without adding a single thing to what we're doing. What I'm really advocating and pushing and finish with this is we're living our, whole, our lives, our whole lives on display. It's exactly what Tiff said. It's not a pressure because it's not a performance. It's life, mess and everything. Mission is a life thing. Community is a life thing. Discipleship is a life thing. Eating and drinking is a life thing. And what's more, the final one we'll look at, scripture, is pointing to a future real life. Isaiah 25 Verse six, these verses are just looking to the new heavens and the new earth. And it says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Simmering underneath Luke's gospel, all that we looked at earlier, is God's promise of a future messianic banquet. The meals of Jesus are an enacted future. They are putting on display in miniature what will one day be perfect. They are God's coming new world in small. They are prophetic statements of what is to come. And so the church now is supposed to be a picture of heaven and our meals are supposed to be a picture of the great party of heaven, eating and drinking together, practicing hospitality and doing it in a way that crosses the boundaries of race and age and socioeconomic status and class and educational background and house size and all the rest of it. It's about a welcoming of other. It's about a demonstration of peace and joy because one day we will have great unity, perfect peace and perfect joy in its fullest. We can't do it perfectly, but as imperfectly as we can, we're supposed to picture that. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, led us to. It's a challenge with COVID. It'll probably be a challenge over these next couple of weeks. Who knows what plan C, D, E, F, G, whatever is gonna be. I don't know. But this is why it matters more than any of those things. Because it's not just practical, it's theological. It's enacted grace. It's enacted community. It's enacted mission. It's an enacted future. It's putting it all on display. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of Man, thank you so much that you came to seek and save the lost. Thank you so much that you came to give your life as a ransom for many that we might be free. Thank you so much that you came not to be served, but to serve. Wow, we are recipients of that, your wonderful grace. We thank you for it. Lord, we also look at the way you came, eating and drinking, building community, going mission, loving people, spending time with people, enacted grace, enacted community, enacted mission, enacted future. Jesus, you transformed and changed everything. Now, Lord, would you change, transform and change us? I thank you for so much excellent hospitality goes on across the life of this church. God, would you breathe life in it? As we sow seed, may there be much fruit. As we hang out with non-believers, people who don't know you, may there just be a real sense of knowing them coming to a place of faith. As we gather in our communities, we're in being very intentional. The weekend, a couple of weekends time, we're intentional in community weekends. It's not just because we can't be bothered meeting, it's because we're serious about this. We want to be in communities sharing life, doing life, intergenerational, across all the different stuff. Lord, would you set a fire in our heart? 
breathe on us. That contribution Joe made right at the end, it's not just about Sundays, the rest of the life, and it's lived out together. Breathe on us afresh. Lord, as we go into this Christmas period, as we have opportunities to to share, to open our homes, to open our lives, to sit in the corner of Weatherspoons, whatever it is, Lord, would you help us to shine like stars in a darker, crooked generation. Give us great stories, great joy, great moments of laughter. For your glory, our good, and the sake of a watching world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.